Well, good morning, Orchard Hills. Welcome again to our service today. Welcome to those inside the room, those who are outside. And, oh yeah, look at them. What's up, guys? That's awesome. Man, good to see people out there. That's, that's exciting stuff. And welcome to everyone who's watching at home. Um, we are glad that you're here today to worship, to receive the word. I'm excited to open it with you. Uh, my name's Sutton Wirt, and I'm the community care pastor here. And we're really glad you're here. So <clears throat> on Easter Sunday, Scott shared the unbelievable story of Jesus's life, um, his teaching, his miracles, his death, and then his resurrection. And Scott said the thing that moves people from unbelief in that story to belief is having an encounter with Jesus. And so two weeks ago, um, we looked at a couple of disciples um, who had just such an encounter with Jesus as they were on the road uh, from, Emmaus, uh, from Jerusalem down to this little village called Emmaus. And what we saw um, that in, in that story um, is that the same Jesus uh, who met with them on the road, they, they didn't know it was him at first. Their eyes were, were blinded by their grief, by their unmet expectations. But that same Jesus who walked with them who taught them the scriptures, who then broke the bread as they sat around at the dinner table. And then their eyes were open to see that this was him. This was their king, their risen Lord. That same Jesus who did that on, on that Easter Sunday over 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus that you and I are invited to encounter today. He's the same Jesus who is still offering to be with us in our grief, he is still revealing himself through the word and through the table of communion, and he is still pursuing his people. And so today, I would, in, I would like to invite you to continue that journey. If you're struggling to believe, uh, if you're uncertain about Jesus, if you're, you're wanting more of him, then come with us today as we open the word of God and as we, um, this time, join with the 11 disciples who are back in Jerusalem and see how Jesus shows up for them and brings them to a place of belief. So um, we are in Luke uh, chapter 24, again, picking up where we left off, verses 36 to 43. If you have Bibles, please um, open them up and turn to Luke 24. If you don't, we've got some in the, the seat backs there in front of you. It's on page 1048 of those Bibles. <clears throat> um, I'll pray for us, and then we will dive into the story. Well, Lord Jesus, um, we have sung of your goodness, and we want to see it uh, in your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would make your word come alive to us, um, that we would get to know your heart better through our time spent here today. Um, Lord, I was talking with Kayla before service, and she was just saying she sensed a feeling of exhaustion over people here today. And so, Lord, as we come tired and weak and needy and hungry and sad and all kinds of uh, varied emotions, Lord, you look on us with grace and you invite us to sit at your feet. And so I just pray that um, you would draw us together around your word right now. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so if you think about what has been happening to the disciples on this, this weekend that we're talking about, um, they've been on a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. Um, first, on good, what we now call Good Friday, 
um, they witnessed the death of their rabbi, their teacher, um, their leader, their friend. They watched him be killed and then sealed in a tomb, dead. It was done. And I imagine that they were feeling all of, of their hopes, their dreams, their expectations, that all of that was, was just reduced to a pile of rubble, that it had all become worthless, wasted time, wasted thought, wasted energy, wasted belief. But then Sunday morning rolls around, first day of the week, and it starts with two of the women of their company going to the tomb, and they come back terrified, overjoyed, all of those things, saying, Jesus is is alive. He's not in the tomb anymore. And, and Mary actually met him. Um, and so Peter and John run to the tomb. They get there, and it's empty, like the lady said, but no Jesus. And then these two men, Cleopas and the other disciple, um, who we talked about a couple weeks ago, encounter Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They walk with him, they talk with him, and then he reveals himself to them as the risen Lord. And then they run all the way back to Jerusalem to tell the eleven disciples what they have just experienced. And so that's where we pick up today. Um, let's start back in verse 33 here. <clears throat> it says, and they rose that same hour, so they as Cleopas and the other disciple who encountered Jesus and Emmaus, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, all the way back where they just came from. And they found the eleven and those who were with them, so there were some others there, gathered together and saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. That's Peter. Then they told what had happened to them on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So um, these two guys, Cleopas and, and the other guy, um, they're running up from Jerusalem. They've just experienced Jesus. Two and a half hour walk. They're booking it. Who knows how fast they got there. Um, but they storm into this room. They're telling the disciples and the others who are with them, hey, it's Jesus. We are pretty sure, like, we just had this encounter with Jesus, and they're talking about it, talking about all these things. And then verse 36, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace to you. Peace to you. Now notice that even though these two guys from Emmaus had seen Jesus, and even though it says at this point Peter had seen Jesus at some point that day, it doesn't sound like anybody in the room is actually convinced that it was him. Maybe some of them are, maybe some of them aren't. Um, but when Jesus gets to the room, we're told in John chapter 20 that the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. Um, and the reaction of these men is, is not immediately joyful. <laughs> because in verse 37, it says, But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. Some translations say ghost. Has anyone ever thought they saw a ghost? Show of hands. Wow, okay. Well, nobody, really. Sure, you're all mature adults. Um, well, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that I've ever seen a ghost. I don't think that I think that ghosts are real. I don't know. Um, but I did see something in my house one time. Um, so I... Had to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because um, I'm getting a little older now, um, approaching the ripe old age of 30. Um, but I was standing, so I walk out of the room, standing at the top of the stairs. We've got a two-story house. And I'm looking 
for some reason, I looked at the bottom of the stairs, and there, this light over our kitchen sink shines at the bottom of the stairs, and so it casts this, this beam of light. And as I'm looking, this, what appears to be, what looks like the, sh- the shoulder of a person, that shadow moves into that beam of light and then slowly moves back. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't know, I don't know what was going on. Maybe it was because I was still half asleep. But I have never felt fear grip my heart like it did that night. My blood ran cold. My mouth instantly went dry. Um, I could hear my heart pounding in my ears. Like, I was terrified. (laughs) And so um, I didn't know what to do, so I I woke up Kayla. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was like, that's the last thing to do. I I should not do that. Um, So I just went and laid down in my bed. I was like, okay. So I knew, I didn't know what I had seen, but what I did know was that there was someone in our house. And I went and laid down in bed, and I was like, okay, I cannot let this guy know that I know that he's here. And so I'm just like being still, I'm being quiet. I'm like, man, what I do, what I do, what I do. Um, and so I called the cops. Um, <laughs> we live in Southeast, so the cops are never uh, a very far distance away. And, um, but when I knew that when I called them, I couldn't talk to them because then that guy might hear that I knew that he was there in the house. So I call, I called 911, I let him pick up and then I hung it up and I laid there still (laughs) trusting that their technology would track my phone. Uh, but just in case I did one more time, 911 ring, pick up. Yes. Okay. End. (laughs) Back to just waiting in my bed. So I'm, I'm laying there, and I tell you, they were quick. It was like five minutes. Um, I hear banging on the door. I hop up, run down the stairs. Kayla, and at this point, Kayla wakes up. She's like, what's going on? I'm like, oh, it's fine. She's like, I don't think it's fine. I'm like, no. I'm just going to let these people in the house at the middle of the night. Um, but it, it was the police. They uh, came in. They were like, what's going on? I told them what was happening. Um, they were like, okay. So they, you know, shine their flashlights, have the guns, going around the house. Uh, our house is pretty small, so it took about 30, 30 seconds to uh, clear the premises. Um, they were like, there's, there's no one here. Um, I'm like, well, it's really embarrassing. <laughs> I thought there was. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm sorry I've wasted your time. They're like, no, we'd rather be helping you than dealing with drunks downtown. And, um, they were very kind. They did not shame me or uh, pick on me. I'm sure, though, if there are any cops in the room, you, you might have heard that story later when they were picking on me. But I don't know what it was, y'all, um, but I was terrified. And, and I have, have rarely, if ever, felt that kind of fear grip my heart. Um, and so I don't know if you have ever felt that kind of fear, uh, but that is, is what the disciples are feeling in this moment. They are terrified. The Greek words used here for startled and frightened have connotations of being locked in fear, detached from reality, um, scared into irrational behavior, <laughs> which I certainly was. Um, so these guys, they probably stand up, they step back, they're scrambling, maybe pushing each other in front of them to get away. Maybe Peter's drawing his sword. They are terrified. They don't know what they're doing. And then there in the middle of them is Jesus, just standing there, probably a smile on his face. And he just says, peace, peace to you. I mean, he's feeling good. This is the day he rose from the dead. He's got a resurrected, glorified body, and in the midst of their fear, he steps in and brings peace. 
And he says this, why are you troubled? And why did doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Man, sweet Jesus. Kind, gentle, patient Jesus. He loves these men. And so he gently says, why are you afraid? Why do you doubt? Come here, look, touch, see, it's me. It's me, I'm here. I'm here, it's okay. But even then, they still don't quite believe. Their emotions begin to change from from fear to joy, but they still don't quite believe. Listen to what they say. Verse 41, it says, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. I think that phrase is interesting, disbelieved for joy. We might say that it was too good to be true. They disbelieved for joy. Have you ever experienced something that was too good to be true? Maybe you got that job that you never thought you could land. Maybe you got into a school you didn't think you could get into. Uh, Maybe someone surprised you with a gift that was way beyond what your expectations were. Um, Maybe someone threw a surprise party that you were totally not expecting. Or maybe something just happened that you really didn't think was going to happen, and then it did. And, And there's that moment where you're just like, no way! No freaking way! Man, get out of here! That's crazy! That is too good to be true. That's what's happening in this moment. These guys are still very much in shock, but their, their fear is changing to joy, and they're looking at each other thinking, man, if this is true, if Jesus is here in the flesh, if he's alive, this changes everything. This changes everything. Verse 41, And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. So the disciples are all flabbergasted, roller coaster of emotions, feeling crazy, and Jesus is like, what y'all got to eat? (laughs) And so he eats it right there in front of them, showing that yet again, yes, it is him, it's really him. It's crazy. So what can we learn about who Jesus is and what he wants to do for us from this account? Three points for you. The first one, Jesus still wants to proclaim peace in the midst of your fear. Notice the first thing that Jesus says to these guys. He steps into the midst of their fear and their confusion and anxiety, and he says three simple words, peace to you. Peace to you. Church, I believe Jesus is still doing the same thing for us today. There could be any number of reasons that you are locked up in fear and anxiety this morning. Maybe life is not happening the way that you thought that it would. Maybe your finances are tight and getting tighter. Maybe your children are rowdy and disobedient and unmanageable. I have no idea what that's like, but I'm sorry for you. (laughs) I'm joking. Maybe you have received a diagnosis that is devastating. Maybe a loved one who's very dear to you passed away. Maybe you are desperately trying to hold it all together and miserably and hopelessly failing. Maybe you are too scared to admit 
that you do not have it all under control. And in the midst of that storm inside of your chest, Jesus wants to step in and offer you his peace. Peace to you. Now, when we hear peace, we hear the absence of conflict. But the Hebrew conception of peace is something much deeper. The word that they used is shalom. And shalom means wholeness, completeness, peace in the sense of, of everything being in its proper place. Um, shalom means wellness. It means living in right relationship with God and with each other. It means rest and, and tranquility of heart and, and mind and body. And shalom, peace, only comes from Jesus. It only comes from Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Friends, the world is trying to get you to find peace anywhere but Jesus right now. The world is saying that more money will give you the peace that you're longing for. The world is saying a better job or a bigger retirement or a better house will give you peace. The world is saying that yoga will give you peace or crystals will give you peace or just the right diet and exercise will give you peace. The right sexual partner, sexual experience will give you peace. Some essential oils will give you peace. The world offers us all kinds of things that may be fine or great even, but they cannot make us whole. They cannot make you whole. They cannot bring about the wellness of your entire being that you are aching and longing for. Jesus can. Jesus can. When he stepped out of that tomb, Paul would later say that, that he was the firstborn from the dead, which means that he is the beginning of a brand new creation. He's the promise that God is remaking the world and that one day he will completely remake heaven and earth and me and you in the way that we were meant to be. And the beautiful promise of the gospel is that that starts now. That that heaven coming to earth, that new creation begins when we step into Jesus Christ and find our identity in him. He is the beginning of the new creation. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. That's where it begins, in him. The good news of the gospel is that you can experience that right now through a relationship with Christ. Jesus still wants to proclaim his peace in the midst of your fear. Number two, Jesus still wants to offer himself as the answer to your doubts. Maybe your faith is weak right now. Maybe you're intrigued by Jesus, but you're still full of, of doubt and skepticism. You're inwardly wavering, struggling to see it, thinking, man, I just don't know. I don't know about this guy. I don't know about these things. I don't know if I can open myself up and be vulnerable and trust God that way. How can all of this be true? It's, it's unbelievable. And you're right, it is. Unless it actually happened. Unless it really happened. And the way that you can know, in essence, is the same way that the disciples knew. You can encounter the risen Jesus for yourself. Just ask him. Just ask him. 
He wants to reveal himself to you. He uses his word, open it. He uses the table, come to it. He uses his body, the church, be a part of it. He wants to reveal himself to you. I have seen Jesus in all of these places to the point that I couldn't deny him if I wanted to. He's shown me himself and he'll do it for you if you just ask him. I love that, that Jesus in this passage, he's, he doesn't have a lot of words for the disciples. He doesn't have a lot of shame or condemnation. Just a simple question. Why? Why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? And then a simple answer. Here I am. It's me. Come on. Touch me. See. Come, come here. Come close. It's me. It's really me. Friends, the Christian faith is logical. <clears throat> if you're struggling to believe, there are all kinds of evidences and proofs and reasons to believe that are good and logical reasons. But you can see all of that and you can still refuse to believe. At the end of the day, though, what is undeniable is the beautiful and unique person that you encounter, Jesus. Verse 39, he says, See that it is I myself. It is I myself. He is the purpose. He is the goal. He is the only one who can move you from doubt to belief. And he will. He will. Like the man whose, whose son was possessed by a demon who cried out, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. You too can cry out, Lord, I'm trying to believe. Help my unbelief. I want to believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. I'm struggling to believe. Lord, help my unbelief. And he will. He will. Jesus still wants to offer himself as the answer to all of our doubts. And finally, number three, Jesus is still too good to be false. Amen. We talked about having experienced um, something that's too good to be true. And unfortunately, I think that that's our default position. Um, if something seems too good to us, then we believe it's not true. Um, we have been so advertised to, we have been so overpromised and underdelivered in our culture. We have, have seen the fake videos and seen the airbrushed ads. And so our natural disposition in this age, maybe more than ever, is one of unbelief. We're naturally predisposed to unbelief. We think we're sensible, logical adults. We know life's painful. We know it's hard. We're not going to let anyone fool us with, with empty promises and fairy stories. We're not going to let anyone pull the wool over our eyes. And you know, I'm sure that some of the disciples that weekend after Jesus died were saying the very same thing. And I knew this was too good to be true. I knew it was crazy. We're just poor, worthless fishermen. We're never going to amount to anything. God doesn't care. I knew it was all a lie. I knew it was too good to be true. But then Jesus stepped into that room and he shattered their paradigms of what they thought was possible yet again. Can you imagine the feeling of, of all of that joy and hope and expectation that you had laid to rest with him in the tomb, all of that coming back and flooding into your heart and that, that joy and uh, 
overwhelming you and the sorrow washing away. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. That feeling of, of, of looking at each other's eyes and looking at Jesus in the eyes and, and looking around the room and thinking, man, if this is true, if this is him, this, is, this changes everything. This changes everything. It's like, it's like in all of our favorite stories when the hero, poised on the brink of failure, on the edge of death, summons all his remaining strength, does what no one thinks can be done, conquers the enemy, and stands victorious upon the field of battle. It's Aslan and the children routing the witch's army. It's Tony Stark and the Avengers conquering Thanos and the the forces of evil. It's Harry Potter and the whole team vanquishing Voldemort and all of the evil that they represent. It's all of these beautiful stories, and we love these stories, but why? Why do we believe that the impossible can actually happen? Why, when every one of us will die, do we believe that life still conquers death, that there's more than just this story? There's only one answer to that question. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He is the hero. His is the story after which every other story is modeled, and his is true. He is the humble servant who left glory, who grew up as an underdog, who lived and and stood up for the marginalized and the broken and the weak, who died on behalf of the people that he loved, giving up himself for others, the greatest act of love, who conquered every great enemy that this world has ever seen and who lived to tell the tale. Friends, there is no greater story. There is no other savior. Who else will you hope in? Who else will you turn to? There's no one. Only Jesus. And Jesus stands victorious over all the chaos and the pain of this world. He stands victorious over sin and the grave. And from that position of power, he stoops to humbly offer you himself, to give you himself, to offer himself as the answer to your doubts, to give you his peace, and to ask for some fish? What? It's kind of comical, isn't it? But it's the most natural thing. What else would a guy who just beaten Satan, rose from the dead, dealt with his friend's crazy emotions, want to do? Eat. Michael Beer, let me hear you. The man wanted to eat something. And so he asks, what y'all got to eat around here? I love it. Now, Jesus' point, obviously, is that he wanted them to see that he was really alive, that it was him, that he wasn't just some kind of spirit um, which wouldn't be able to eat food, but that it was him in the flesh. But I can't help but think that there is a deeper meaning behind his ask. It's almost like he is saying, what do you have? You don't know what's going on. You're struggling to believe. That's fine. That's fine. What do you have? Oh, it's just your smelly old fish from dinner a couple hours ago? That's fine. Remember when I multiplied the fish till your nets were bursting? Remember when I multiplied the fish to feed thousands of people? What do you have? Bring it to me. 
Come close to me. Let me take your, your pain and your brokenness and, and watch what I do with the little that you have and all of the, the beauty and the glory that I can bring. Watch the transformation that will happen when you step close to me. What do you have? Bring it to me. Just give me what you have. Friends, that is the invitation today. Whatever you have today, whether it's fear and anxiety that you're locked in, whether it's confusion and doubt that you just don't know what to do with, whether it's a simple refusal to, to believe, would you bring that to Jesus? Would you give it to him? Would you allow him to offer you his peace in return? Church, Jesus is alive. He's as real as you and me and more. He has a body that will never die again. And that body is seated at the right hand of the Father and will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. And so you and I live right now between the first and the second coming. And the offer to you today is that you would turn from a life of brokenness and, and unbelief and fear and anxiety and confusion and doubt and that you would offer that to Jesus. That's all you have to give some smelly old fish. But he doesn't care. He'll take whatever you have and transform it. He'll offer you his peace, deep wholeness, the, the, the peace that your soul is longing for. Only he can. Nothing the world offers will satisfy that ache. But he can and he will. Just ask him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts before you. Lord, you're so good. Your character is so beautiful, so kind, so gentle. The way that you meet us in our fear, in our anxiety, in our doubt and confusion, the way that you offer your peace is like nothing I have ever experienced. And so, Lord, I pray for everyone here listening to this message, Lord, that you would proclaim your peace over whatever situation they find themselves in today, whatever heartbreak they're experiencing, whatever sorrow or burden they have. Lord, would you proclaim your peace during this time? Lord, for those who've never heard your voice, would you allow them to hear you, to see you, to experience you. And Lord, for those of us who, who know you but still have places in our hearts that are full of unbelief, Lord, would you forgive us and, and just gently and slowly draw us out of that fear we're living in and into deep trust in you. Lord, we need you. We can't do this without you, Lord. It's you and you alone who change our hearts. So we give you ourselves. We trust you, Lord Jesus. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Amen.